greetings, greetings, greetings. Today's read is going to be not so much of a read as a review of a read. Meaning, I just got finished reading a book by author. Let me pull up her book title really quick. I am a huge fan of the continent of Africa's culture um, because it's a culture that I have not um, had access to as a child. And now as a grown woman, I have full access as much as I I want. Um, Traveling there, reading the literature, watching the movies on Netflix. Netflix has a lot of South African, um, some Kenyan, um, some Nollywood, which is Nigerian movies. I just, I love immersing myself in the culture. And the literature is dynamic, absolutely dynamic. So, so far, I've gotten into Neri Okorafor and Toyemi, I forgot how to say her name, but the African futurism is it. I love all that. I'm not really big into love stories that much, no matter what country they come from, because they can get annoying. And they've been, let me say this, the love stories, doing quotations in the air, the love stories I've read so far have been so predictable, almost like movies about romance. are so predictable, which it gets boring. So um, I've read a few by Chimamande Adichie, which were really, which were really, really good. Um, Half of a Yellow Sun was really good, and the movie was too. But I, I don't really expose myself to them as much. But there is this author who has a book coming out that I wanted to read. And that book, well, the author's name is Ayobami Adebayo. And the book that I want to read is A Spell of Good Things. I love that part of Nigerian writing, the part that speaks to the spirituality of it all. I love that, especially when it's woven into... Um, fictitious stories that hold some real realism in it. Love all of that, but that book isn't available at my library just yet. So I held um, the book that was available or is available at my library is a book that's titled "Stay with Me," and I knew it was going to be like a romantic book. But I did not know it was going to be so much turmoil. And I did not know that I was going to learn so much about men. Well, this one man and how his inability to please his wife set off such a string of trauma it's it's really well written um but so traumatic oh my god oh god so i didn't know that i know about erectile dysfunction right but i'm a woman so i don't know fully about it like what men go through and I thought of it as maybe an older man's 
problem like in his 60s or something i don't know i never even thought about it to be honest because i'm not a man i've never honestly really dealt with that on any real personal level just my guys the men i've been with there's been no problems (laughs) thankfully joyfully but that's not what we're talking about here um so yeah the book shocked me in a lot of ways in a lot of ways so let's get into it this episode is brought to you by snapple welcome to the snapple market auditory experience close your eyes imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store you make your way to the back and reach for your favorite snapple flavor you can't wait you take a sip whoa that's a lot of flavor Mm. what flavor are you holding now open your eyes and check out snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful snapple near you I called it a a love story and there's some love in it at some points but it's not a lot of love it's it's not it's a lot of trauma it's a lot of trauma a lot of dysfunction a lot of pain a lot of mental health issues a lot of everything but love (laughs) And I'm laughing, but it's not funny. I'm I'm just shocked by this story. Um, my favorite kind of stories are more inspirational. And, like, uh, you get a good message out of the story. And then, you know, I don't know. But I couldn't stop reading this. Even though I don't like sad stories. Especially about black people anywhere in the world i don't i know bad things happen but like i said i like the stories where people you know triumph you know all that this story started out and i love love i like when black people get together in relationships and they stick it out the man the black man the black woman Black family, children, generations, all of that. I like all of that. I can never get enough of that, to be honest. Um, But that's not what this book was. It did start out with a very successful, financially speaking, couple. They both went to university together. That's where they met at university. Um, He was intrigued by her. He loved her deep mahogany skin i loved how they described um her looks and he knew he was in love with her from the beginning which is so sweet that's sweet right um he was with somebody (laughs) when he met her at a, a university function but he dropped the girl that day and was just like with her that's it her name is Yejide, and his name is akin akin yele but they called him akin so Yejide, the book starts out where she's not with him. So it goes back in time and it tells their story. But it starts out where she's successful wherever she's at, living in Nigeria. And he lives in a different part of Nigeria. And he sends her a letter inviting her to his father's funeral and hoping that she'd come. 
Then we go back in time and she goes through all of these things. Now, Polly Amory, am I saying that right? I think I said it right because I don't have the book open. Polly Amory. Polly Amory. I know that's where there's more than one. Polyamory means loving many people at the same time with their consent and honesty. Key, polyamory is with consent and honesty. That part. If the person that you're with does not know you're with other people and give you their consent and you're honest about what goes on, that's not polyamory. That's cheating. So... When they met, she knew that some people, like she grew up in a family that was polyamorous. Her dad was polyamorous and the wives all knew about each other. Also with polyamory, every woman is, nobody's hiding. Nobody's a secret. There's, there's, you know, it's up front. You may not like everything that goes on, but nobody's lied to. That's the difference between cheating and polyamory. Or having a side chick or, or sneaky link or um, outside babies or whatever the case. Honesty. And she was honest with him from the beginning. She grew up in a, a polyamorous family. He grew up in a polyamorous family. But when she went to university, she had made the decision for herself that that's not what she wanted in her life. She did not want to be involved in that. And she let him know from the beginning um, probably because in her own family, her mother had died while giving birth to her. I think her mother was wife number two out of her wife, her father's several wives. And the stepmothers were not nice to her. They were not. And she felt very lonely growing up. She was motherless. Um, her father cared for her a great deal, but he wasn't always around. And he was, you know, taking care of the the family, the huge family that he had. So he trusted the women to take care of the daughter that was not theirs. And they just, you know, they doted on their own children. They fed her or whatever, but, you know, you know how people can be sometimes if you're not their child. Some people. And she just didn't want to go through that. So when she got married to him, she was... A, they were both up front with each other. He didn't even want anybody else. He was so in love with her from the very beginning. That was throughout the book. And I don't know if it was love or just like attachment. But anyway, so the problem came when she, after four years of marriage, she still wasn't pregnant. And in their society, married people have babies and not just their society not just because they're Nigerian uh, most societies this is how life goes forward when men and women get married and have babies life goes forward when men and women get together and have sexual intercourse and create life life goes forward now I know there are other ways of creating life but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about nature's way of creating babies where a man has sex with a woman and a baby is created in that instant 
And in a married situation, you know, there's an expectation. Young couple, he's a banker. Um, she owns a hair salon. They're doing very well. Um, and his mother is pressuring him, pressuring him, pressuring him, pressuring him to have a baby. To the point where year four, the family started meeting, coming to the house, bringing women, not to the house, my bad, bringing women to his job. His mother would bring a woman once a month to his job and say, you know, maybe her as a second wife. Finally, finally, he had to agree to a wife just to shut his mother up. But he didn't know how to be upfront with Yejide and tell her that he had to have a second wife. So they performed the ceremony. This is where it got funky. Because you can't just bring another, you can't just bring a second wife to the house. What you mean? What you mean? Now, Yejide, oh my gosh, she was so traumatized by her childhood of being motherless, of being treated badly by her stepmothers, that when she joined in matrimony with Akin, she loved her mother and father-in-law. She loved her sister-in-law. She loved being a part, really a part of a family. She would do anything to stay, to keep that family together, that family unit together. So when they brought Funmi, that was the second wife to her house, she wanted to protest and she did in certain ways. But eventually Funmi ended up, ended up joining the family. Fumi did not live in their house together. And it was very clear that Yejide is wife number one. What she wants, what she allows, every she, she gets to determine like how things are run in the house. So Fumi did not live in their house at first. She had her own apartment a little ways away. But they just went through so many things because Fumi was ready to be, you know, replaced wife number one. She was you know, just doing her things, trying to replace wife number one, but she couldn't. And Yeji Day was like, I need to get pregnant by any means necessary. So she started incorporating traditional medicine, traditional doctors. She went to visit somebody up on this mountaintop and she had to take a goat up there and he did this this um, ceremony and she believed she was pregnant just from that ceremony mind you she was a virgin she never had sex with anybody besides Akeem so although she went to university she she just wanted to be pregnant she wanted to be pregnant so bad she wanted to get rid of the idea that Fumi had to even be a part of their household and Fumi definitely wasn't going to have the first baby so she just believed she was pregnant to the point where she started having uh, pregnancy symptoms. Even past, her stomach actually like grew a little bulge. I was like, what the heck? Like she went a little bit crazy. She went a little bit crazy. So then finally she um, agreed to, like she was going on 10, 11 months pregnant. So her husband was getting frustrated at this point. Um, and he 
got her to agree to go see a therapist. At that point, Fumi was like, this lady, she moved into the house. I'm going to help her. Just Fumi was in the house now. So there were two, a big house. Fumi had her her room. They had their room. And Yejide didn't care. She was going to have this baby. Even though she went to five doctors, they did five ultrasounds, she was not pregnant. She couldn't accept it. Then one day, his brother came to visit. Datun came to visit. And when Datun came to visit, he freaking comforted her in ways that her husband did not. Oh, gosh. And after they were intimate, so how it happened was Akeen and his brother had a big argument. And Akeen was trying to tell Datun, tell her she's not pregnant. Five doctors told her she's not pregnant, like trying to express to his brother what was going on. And then he stormed out the house and Datun was comforting her and they ended up being intimate in that way for the first time. And something in that intimacy helped her release the idea that she was pregnant. She admitted after a while that she wasn't pregnant. And it was interesting because she she talked about how much she enjoyed the intimacy with Dotson. And so that intimacy kept happening. It kept happening. And she was intimate with one and then the other. And she ended up being pregnant. She ended up getting pregnant. This is five years later. Fumi never got pregnant. So she finally got pregnant. She had a, a little girl, Olamide. Olamide? Olamide? I hope I'm saying it right. And she was so happy with that little girl. And they had a huge, like after a week, they had, I think, seven days, and they have a naming ceremony for the baby or whatever. And <coughs> everybody was at the naming ceremony. <coughs> Excuse me. It was huge. And the little girl had, like, 21 names. And they named her whatever. And everybody was drinking or whatever. And I don't know how or why. Well, I didn't at first. But Fumi ended up. At the bottom of the stairs, wife number two ended up at the bottom of the stairs, dead the morning after the baby's naming ceremony. And um, come to find out years later, the husband had pushed her by mistake because she was questioning him on how did Yeji Day get pregnant? How did Yeji Day get pregnant? You, listen, Fumi was not a virgin when he married her. Yeji Day was a virgin. So Fumi was like, how she get pregnant? Because I know you're not just impotent with me. That's not the word she used, but she was like, I'm, I'm not trying to hear that. I, I know you're just, you're not doing things with her. And so then when he... When she grabbed him, they was both drunk. When she grabbed him to make him turn around and answer her, he like shook her off and shook her off of him, and she fell down the stairs and she hit her head and she died that way. It was an accidental death, but it was all of this trauma, right? 
Come to find out, after all of these goings on, she had Olamide. The baby then died a few months later, um, like a crib death overnight. Um, they stayed together, though. They stayed together. Where where should they have these businesses together? They have. Um, where is she gonna go? Wait, what is she gonna do? She just started diving into work, and at the time when Olamide died, the first baby died. She was pregnant with the second baby, Cezanne. Cezanne? Cezanne. It was a boy. Oh, my God. They loved him so much. The joy came through the pages of the book. They loved that little boy so much. And Akin's mother was worried about the baby being in Ajiban. Let me see if I'm saying it right. Ajiban. Ajuban. Ajuban. Ajiban. I forgot the name of it. But it's it's a, a name that they call a baby that is believed to come and die. Like they came to as a spirit that didn't mind dying. They didn't they came here for a little while just to experience life for a little while and then go back. Ajiban, I don't remember what the name of it is. I should have wrote it down. Um Abiku. Abiku. Abiku children are believed to be spirits that just come for a little while, but they plan to um Yeah, all of that. <laughs> they plan to die quickly. And they don't care about how they hurt family members, especially the mom. So the mother, um, Akin's mom, kept telling him that just to be safe, you know, I think this is a Abiku child. Because they found out he had sickle cell. And Akin's mom was like, can it be cured? Can sickle cell be cured? And Akin told her it can be treated, but it cannot be cured. And I like what his mother said. Like, you, you go to the white man's school and you think treatment is better than a cure. We have cures. What she was trying to get her son to do was to tap into traditional medicine, traditional healing, tap into the spirit if that child is an abiku child, there's a way to handle them in a spiritual way to keep them from dying early. But he doesn't believe in any of that. He doesn't believe in any of that. So they go through the whole process of him having sickle cell or whatever. But here's the kicker. When the child had his testing for sickle cell, the doctor didn't want to tell Yejide the results of the test. The doctor was like, I need to speak to your husband. And Yejide was like, I'm his mother. You can't tell me the results of whatever testing you've been doing. He was like, well, I can tell you he has sickle cell, but I also need to speak to his father. And she was like, okay. Come to find out, the child is not Akin's child. 
The child is Datun's child. Akin's brother is the father of the child. So Akin may pretend he was upset, but he actually knew the whole time. He knew the whole time. He had made a plan with Datun to get his wife pregnant four times. The first one, Olamide, um, but she passed away when she was in crib death. Unfortunately, Sesun didn't um, make it past school age. Oh, it was so sad when he died. Like, it ripped his mom apart. And, um, yeah, it was sad. And then finally she got pregnant with the third baby. And they named her Rotimi. And Rotimi means stay with me. And there are several names that, as part of the spiritual process, like give the child a name that speaks to their destiny. And Rotimi speaks to the destiny of staying alive. Stay with me. There are other names, <coughs> but they liked Rotimi because it could be changed to, um, it could be changed and not be so have such a stigma tied to it because if you're Nigerian, if you're Yoruba and you're speaking the language of Yoruba and somebody's name is Rotimi, then you know that they are named that because they had siblings who died very young. So they named her Rotimi, but oh gosh, Yejide didn't have any more in her. She just couldn't give that little baby the emotions that she gave the other two. It just would take too much out of her. And eventually, Datun, I don't know why he told her, ended up telling her the truth, um, that it was all set up. That Akin had asked him to get her pregnant with the babies. Because even though they had tests, like they they had money, they went through all these different tests to find out why she couldn't get pregnant. The truth was, Akin had never had an erection. He had erectile dysfunction like forever. And I was so shocked when I read that. Like, let me find the, the section in the book where he told her. I'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, this is on page... Where are the pages? It's in chapter 37, pages 497 and 498. And she asked him, is it true that you have never, and then she just cut the question off. And he didn't answer her, he just, he just kept playing with the little baby Rotimi. And she said, Akin, is it true? 
He covered his face with both hands as though he could not bear my gaze. I was not moved because I was consumed with a desire to hear him confess. Akinyele, why are you covering your face? Look at me and answer my question. I felt no pity for him as he slid his hands from his face and wrapped them around his neck as though he wanted to strangle himself. How could I? After all, he had looked me in the eye during the first year of our marriage when he said, each penis is different. He told me that some got hard and that others never did. He had said it casually, slipped it into the conversation, so it sounded like one of the things men told their virginal wives about sex. I was amazed by the way he did not even need to tell lies in order to deceive me. Yejide, why do you want me to tell you what you already know? What does she know? Tell her everything that you think she knows and everything that she doesn't. If he could have just at that moment opened up and been honest with her, Perhaps they could have gone to marriage counseling. But, I, and again, I'm, for a man that has to be hard, no pun intended. Um, but to say that, knowing, knowing that he was the reason they never had their own babies, he was the reason that she ended up sleeping with his brother because he asked his brother to come and sleep with her. And the lies that just kept building up. He just wanted to be with her, even though he couldn't be with her sexually. And he had told his brother years ago when they were in university that he had never had an erection. So his brother like brought all these women then they had they were watching pornography. They wa he said he watched all kinds of pornography just in case maybe, you know, the woman wasn't what turned him on. But he watched every kind of pornography and nothing, nothing helped. Like he had a serious problem. He couldn't he couldn't he couldn't get it up. And at some point, you know, people might laugh, but damn, that gotta be really, really, really difficult very very difficult so she said what did i know i knew that i was once as invested in his lies as he was probably more than he was mm -mm -mm -mm. i imagine he at least admitted the truth to himself but i could not do that until dotson had spoken the words akeen was supposed to be the love of my life before i had children he was my salvation from being alone in the world. See, that's what I mean about everything being trauma. Because that wasn't love. He was your salvation. You might have been attracted to him. You might have been friends. You liked each other. But your husband, your spouse, your mate is not your salvation. That's so much expectation to put on somebody else. Any relationship. Love starts from the inside out, and, and they could have definitely used some, some counseling. Um, before I had children, he was my salvation from being alone in the world. I could not allow him to be flawed. So I bit my tongue when customers talked about sex. 
and I let him hold my hand when he told the doctor our sex life was absolutely normal. I told myself I was respecting my husband. I convinced myself that my silence meant I was a good wife. But the biggest lies are often the ones we tell ourselves. I bit my tongue because I did not want to ask questions. I did not ask questions because I did not want to know the answers. It was convenient to believe my husband was trustworthy. Sometimes faith is easier than doubt. Wow. Then she went on to ask, did he fool the second wife too? Did you fool fool me too? And he shook his head and said, she was not like you. You mean she wasn't foolish? Because now Yejide was feeling a kind of way. Like he, because I didn't have sex with anybody else but him, I fell for that. That some penises don't get hard line. He just said, no, she wasn't. It's not that she wasn't foolish. She wasn't a virgin. She was experienced. So their their relationship just didn't just didn't last. Um, <sighs> so Rotimi, she just was, <clears throat> they stayed together in the house. And, you know, she didn't speak to him. He tried to speak to her. It was just a sad. They were just like roommates. And to the point where she would take care of Rotimi when she had to. But for the most part, when he came home after work, she put the baby. She moved into a different bedroom in the house. She put the baby in the bedroom with him. And so the him and the baby got really, really, really close. And she and one of the women from her salon were planning to go to a wedding in another part of Nigeria. And so um, she left the baby with him, as she always does. And her friend was like, why are you treating your, your third child like this? It's not her fault that the others died. And Yejide was very sensitive about the children. Of course, that's very traumatic. Losing a child that you gave birth. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. So she was telling her friend, like, I know she's not responsible, but I just, I take, I do what I got to do for my daughter. She just couldn't face the fact that if she got close to this baby, the way she got close with her other babies, what would she do if she died as well? So while she was away at the wedding, he was in Lagos because he had been going to try to fix his erectile dysfunction issue with a specialist there, but it was during a political time and it, they had just had all these, um, an election happen and it got real sticky. It was a real sticky situation to where there was like stuff going on in the streets and there was soldiers in the streets and he couldn't get to the hospital. Um, unfortunately, Rotimi also had sickle cell disease because although Akeen didn't have, didn't carry it, carry the traits for sickle cell, his brother did, and Yejide did. So whenever they made a baby, the babies had sickle cell. If he would have been able to have babies with her, he didn't carry it, so it wouldn't. the babies wouldn't have had sickle cell. So Rotimi did have sickle cell, and while he couldn't get out of the hotel where he was, she had an episode. So he called Yejide where she was at with her friend, and... He tried to tell her that Rotimi was having an episode, but Yejide was like, that's it. Like, Rotimi lost consciousness, and 
he was he was like facing the fact that he really couldn't get her to a hospital because of what was going on in the streets. Like the soldiers was out there, they were shooting, there was fires, there was a lot going on out in the streets and he couldn't get her to a hospital. So at that point, Yeji Day was like, I'm not coming back. She just gave up on her, well, the marriage was over. They were just roommates at that point. Um, and not even roommate, roommates speak. They weren't even speaking. They were existing in the house together with a baby. But um, she just was like, I'm not coming back. She just couldn't, her heart couldn't take it anymore. So she moved. She left her friend. She didn't even go to her friend's family's wedding. She left and just started a whole new life. Years later, when his father died, and that's how the book started, he had sent her an invitation to his father's funeral. She ended up coming back and she just wanted to know. And the reason she came back was not to be with him, not to see him like that. She wanted to know where her daughter was buried. She wanted to face, you know, the situation. She had not been able to see her other children's graves. And she just wanted to be able to to properly find out what happened with her last child. And when she got there to the funeral, she saw him and standing next to him, and this is where the love was, was her daughter the teenager who looked just like her except she had the father's family nose and she was ebony mahogany deep 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 dark brown um like her mom and had her mom's features and that was the best part of the book because i was brokenhearted every single time one of those children died and um that was the love in this story because he still loved her and he was like, when he saw her, he he had prepared like a place in the house for her. He wanted her to come back. He had prepared a whole speech talking about you could have lovers, just we could live in a house together and raise. You know, Rotimi was a um, a teenager. She went by Timi at this point. She didn't want to be called Rotimi because she didn't want to be a monument to her dead siblings via her name. So she just wanted to be called Timi, and. It was just a beautiful ending, thank goodness, because the mother and the daughter connected. And, oh, it was just so nice the way they connected. It was, it was, it was a lot, though. Very well written. Um, but that's like real life is not neatly packaged into stories that fit into nice little neat boxes. Stories like this real life happens like this um but yeah recommended i definitely recommend reading it it goes way deeper than just this review i'm giving and this overview of it um really well written though i did enjoy her writing very much so peace